This week on the Emmaus Institute for Disciple Making podcast, Ben and Lana Toller will be continuing their series titled Worshiping in Spirit and Truth. They're going to be unpacking the role and purpose of musical worship in the weekly gathering of the saints. So, welcome to week four. Um, we are... Um, as you can see, going to discuss the scripture sayings this week. Finally, we start to talk about what you probably all signed up to begin with, <laughs> thinking that this class was mostly going to be about um, the musical aspect of congregational worship. We're really excited to jump into that and have a lively discussion, hopefully, today. I have no doubt after the serial escapade that it will be anything but lively. So um, I think we want to open up with a word of prayer real quick, and then we'll dive right in. Want to pray for us okay, let's pray. Our Father, we are so excited to be here tonight. We thank you for everyone's safety through the fourth week and that they are able to be here. Um, we just want to take a moment and ask you to meet us where we are. We ask um, that you would help us to be aware and to be thoughtful as we work through this material that, um, Lord, is so important to your church. And if you say that it's important in your word, then we know it should be important to us. And I pray that you would help us tonight. Uh, to understand it a little bit better, to get a better glimpse of you so that we can worship you better. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so for those of you that are just joining us, or we have had a two-week or a one-week break, I suppose, so we'll just sort of get a recap here. Week one, we discussed uh, the idea of what worship is in and of itself. We probably, for most of us, <laughs> at least on some level, broadened the definition of, of what worship means um, because we use it so frequently in American church culture to mean the singing, right? Like when the band comes out, that's when we start to worship. In fact, we use the term as a verb for singing or for, for some of us, you know, watching a band play Christian music on stage. Um, it, and, and it means so much more than that. Denotatively, we talk about a couple of the different Greek and Hebrew terms, um, widely varying from things like prostrating oneself, uh, ascribing verbal worth to something, saying something about it that is, um, uh, could be considered praise or uh, uh, adoration or exaltation, that kind of thing, um, even to the ideas of, like, of giving oneself in service to something else can be a form of, um, or, or can be something that is translated in scripture as, as to worship. Um, so the English word is often sort of explained by by the two parts of it, the worth-ship, like we're giving something else worth. Um, and that's not in essence, but it's in perspective, right? So when we give God um, worship, we are not, we're not giving to him worth, we're ascribing to him worth. We're looking at him and saying, I recognize the worth that you have, which is far above my own. So that was week one. Um, week two, we jumped in um, and talked a little bit, it felt like a little bit of a sidetrack, but really sort of um, focused us in on the congregational worship aspect of things um, and set up week three, which we'll get to in a second. So we talked about um, worship in, in story. Um, whenever we get together for our um, for our Sunday services or our small group sessions or even coffee with a, another brother or sister in Christ, we're, we're sitting down to tell each other the gospel story, right? And the story doesn't necessarily mean fictitious. It just means a message that we're communicating through some kind of dramatic or, um, or descriptive arc. Um, and we, we wrote up in the 
the, the theatrical or, or literary diagram that everyone's seen before and talk about how stories work together. There's something that starts it. There's, um, there are things that go against the message or add to the message or, or, or emphasize the message until it reaches the highest point of intrigue or suspense or importance. And then there's a resolution to that story. And every time we communicate, we have some form of that going on. We have a point to what we're trying to say. Um, and in one-on-one -on -one casual conversations, that often means um, you lead towards the most important information and then you look at your friend and you say, well, what do you think about that? Um, in small group sessions, a lot of times that means sharing um, different perspectives on, on a truth or on an idea or something. And that combined leads to us having a much bigger perspective on the topic that we were discussing to begin with. And in a church service, oftentimes that means because especially American church services tend to be very programmatic. There's a lot of, um, uh, for lack of a better term, theatrical, but I don't mean like in the hypocritical sense, just um, there, there tends to be a lot of um, production value that gets put into something. We're telling a story through various mediums and you sort of have to plan that out. Um, and the idea behind those is to create a story arc, to create to start with a truth, to start something that gets our brains or our hearts moving and add to it and build to it until we come away with a much bigger perspective than where we, where we started. Um, so we discussed how that can be seen um, even through liturgies um, or church services, church orders here at Emmaus. Um, talked about one that um, we saw a couple of weeks ago and sort of described that out. Um, so everything from uh, the Three Little Pigs to uh, a, a well-constructed um, message to a church service, to a concert, to it all has a story arc and there's, there's a point. Um, so then we talked about in the last time that we were together, two weeks ago, um, the idea of liturgy. And we took a little bit of a historical perspective on that. It was a little winding, a little crazy, um, and there was a lot of information. Um, mostly because you could probably take, you know, a year's worth of college courses on church history and how it all developed and um, how the liturgies came to be standardized as they are and all of those kinds of things. But the, the point that we all wanted to come away from, um, and I hope everyone felt this way, um, the thing that we wanted you to come away with, rather, was the idea that the church started doing things certain ways to help us remember and challenge one another and grow in the spirit. That was the beginning of it. Now, throughout church history, we've morphed and things were used for good or ill in lots of different ways as we started to develop the way we do church, if that makes sense, the way we do gathering together as believers. And it takes lots of different forms, and there are things as scheduled and detailed and, um, and um, traditional as the Latin Mass um, two things that are very unscheduled and very un, um, perhaps not disorganized, but not really all that elaborately planned out in in sort of what we could term a low church service kind of idea, where we're not we're not going through um, a high church form or, or format, and all of those in some sense or another are intended to be storytelling um, tools. We take the ritual or the experience or the, the plan and we learn something from it because that was the point, that was the intention. So we come today having built that foundation as 
people who approach a worship service probably at least once a week, most of us. You know, we walk into to service and we sit down and there's a band playing and somebody will come up and do announcements and, and we run through our liturgy, whether it's um, a, a high form liturgy or a low form liturgy kind of thing. Um, we run through all of those and we get up and we leave and we go get our kids and we go get lunch and then what we have done in between those two times when we sat down and when we got up and then what we do with that from there on out um, is something that I think we all always feel like we need more of. Um, and specifically we want to talk about how the church does that creatively today um, and then dive into how we can engage with it. Um, the biggest the biggest thing that we're discussing when we talk about corporate worship oftentimes is singing, right? Is the music, the musical side of things. But as we've established, it means so much more than that. Corporate, sitting down together to listen to a message is corporate worship. Serving the city together is corporate worship. Mm -hmm. Doing all of those things is corporate worship. But, but our service times tend, tend to be dominated by two things. They tend to be, well, two or three things. They tend to be dominated by music, um, a message, and then some form of um, church ordinance, like uh, baptism or uh, communion, if you're in a, in a Protestant kind of situation. That tends to be what mm -hmm. dominates. Um, and the biggest, the biggest one that most people take away from those services is the singing. Um, and so that's what we want to discuss today. Um, so we want to start with music. There we go. Music as a tool for discipleship, and then we'll move on to music as an act of worship, um, and particularly corporate worship. Music as a tool for discipleship. So, um, you walk into a Sunday service, you sit down, the band starts playing. Each one of us responds to that differently. Some of us respond to that ambivalently. I don't really know what to do now. I stand up, this is kind of awkward. Everybody else is raising their hands and stuff, and it's weird. Or... No one is raising their hands, and you would like to. <laughs> you know, it's what. How, how do you respond to that? Um, first of all, the first question that we might ask is, do we have to do this? Why are we doing this? Why is there so much music? Why is that such a big deal? Um, and the easy answer is because the Bible says so. Um, <laughs> and we could go through a you know, weeks-long study of all of the individual passages, but I want to point you to a couple of them right off the bat. Um, Psalm 96, 1 through 2 says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. And then Psalm 47, 6 says, Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. There might be a message there. I, I don't know. Um, and some of you may say, okay, that's, that's from the Psalms. It's poetic language. It's not necessarily a command. Okay, I get that. But this one isn't poetry. Um, if you have a Bible or something like that that you'd like to reference, please feel free. There's a lot of passage here, so I'm going to try to get to, through it as quickly as I can. Um, but if you open up to Ephesians 4.17, we'll start there. still in Exodus from, mm -hmm. from, from last week, so I'm going to have to adjust that. 
wonderful and cursive technology. Um, so if we start in Ephesians 4.17, um, there's a lot of passage here, so I'll skim and jump over a few things. But the idea is that we jump in at um, in Ephesians 4, and it's talking about the new life in Christ, what we're supposed to do now that we're believers, now that we're redeemed. Um, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you have learned Christ, assuming that you have learned about him as were, uh, and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And I want to come back to that idea of speaking truth uh, with your neighbor. Be angry and do not sin. And then he sort of goes through a litany of different ways that speaking truth to one another, what that looks like. Um, so we'll skip down um, to the end of the chapter and start in Ephesians 5. Um, my app makes it really hard to switch chapters, so I apologize. Hold on just a second. Okay, starting in Ephesians 5. Therefore, based on all the stuff that we just said about putting on the new life in Christ, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We talk, it starts off the chapter with the authority of Christ. Because he did this, you should now do the things that are about to come. And he talks about, um, he talks about what we do with our our bodies and our, our voices and our, our words all the way down the passage. Um, take no part in unfruitful works of darkness in, in verse 11, um, but instead expose them for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So again, we're talking about living in the purity of the new life based on the authority and the example of Christ. Verse 15 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to, your, to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, not poetic language. It's in the middle of a giant passage of now that Christ has died, resurrected, and given you new life, this is how you should behave. This is how you should live. This is how should, that should change everything in you. The life of Christ changes us, and this is how it does it. And it's, it's so interesting and wonderful here that at the, at the end of all of these things, he sort of sums it up with a bit of a, a metaphor. Um, it says... Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And I'm, I'm sure you've, most of you have heard this before, but the word for filled is closely related to the word for getting drunk that's used earlier in the passage. So essentially what it's saying is don't be controlled by things outside of you. Don't be controlled by something like strong drink to the point where you start to act like an idiot and do debauched things as 
the rest of the verse fills, fills, finishes out. But be filled, be controlled, be overwhelmed by the Spirit. When we, when we come under submission to Christ and we live in the example of, of what he's laid out for us and, and the power of the Spirit working in our lives, we change. We are filled with it and it changes us. It makes us do things that we perhaps in our own strength would not normally have done. Which is sort of a, a very similar idea to the getting drunk with wine concept. But it's not a negative thing. It's very much a, a positive thing. And look what happens when you are filled with the Spirit, when you're controlled by the power of God, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to, to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he's given us this whole list of things that should be different about our lives if we are in the, in the new life of Christ. And then he says... Don't just do these things, be controlled by, and, and, and not manipulated, but, but overwhelmed by the power of the Spirit in your life. And what that will look like is you are going to sing a lot and you're going to be thankful for everything that you've got. That's pretty huge. Um, we even look at, at the example of um, Paul and Silas. They're put in prison, beaten half to death, all these kinds of things. They start singing, um, and then the the angel of the Lord comes to to open the gates of the the prison, and like they were singing beforehand. Um, and the this was at, at Philippi because they they get up and they they're about to walk out. Or no, no no they stayed where they were, and the Philippian jailer says, "What's going on? What's happened? Paul, I, I'm going to kill myself. They're going to they're going to take me." He's like, "No no 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 wait 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 we're all here. Everything's good." You don't need to kill yourself. Let us tell you about what God has done in our lives and show you all of these wonderful things. And the Philippine jailer and his whole house accept Christ. And there's this great moment of rejoicing that came out of being controlled and filled by the Spirit in a situation that would have been completely dire otherwise. It's a beautiful, beautiful, wonderful thing to be filled and controlled by the Spirit. And what it results in, oftentimes, is singing. Um... It's singing is symptomatic of the Spirit. Um, and it's funny that gratefulness is also there because I probably do a whole lot more singing than thanking, and I probably shouldn't. I, or I probably should do more of the one and not less of the other. Um, <laughs> so we see that you know, Scripture itself commands us to sing. We can't really get out of it. Um, if if the effect of the Spirit of God in our lives is that we sing, even if we weren't told so many times in the Psalms and other places, sing to God, then it's obvious that it's supposed to be part of our lives. And that doesn't, necess and that doesn't just mean sing if you have a good voice, see if, sing if you're a musician. Um, the one that pastors love to say is, at least I've heard it about 7,000 times, is you know, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Joyful noise doesn't have to be good. It just, it's, you don't have to be an opera singer. You just have to make a noise. Um, but, but we are commanded to engage, and we are compelled to engage um, with music in worship um, as a result of the Spirit being part of our lives and, and filling, filling our hearts. Um, this happens all throughout Scripture. 
um, and it's very, very important to, to just hold on to. Um, we can totally, I can totally find a list of all of the, um, all of the examples of commands to sing and commands to engage in, in corporate worship in that way for you, um, if anyone has any doubt, but those three passages alone to me seem pretty strong evidence that it's supposed to be an important part of our lives. So, if we answer the question, do I have to sing, with yes, <laughs> then we need to talk about what should we sing. What should we be singing? Um, and the easiest thing for me to jump in on there is truth. You know, we just talked about the, um, the result of the spirits working in our lives is to respond in song. Um, it's important then that we're singing things that are, that are truthful um, with passion and with energy. And we'll talk a little bit more about how, how that works. Um, but we should probably take care to sing things that are true. And also not to exclude things that are true, if that makes sense. Um, one of the aspects of this class, if we had, you know, four or five more months to go through it, would probably be um, jumping into a lot of the uh, his history of hymnology and the way that the church has sung over the, over the ages and, like, specific examples. But there are lots of hymns, and I think I've mentioned this before, there are lots of hymns that, are, that were written by people that we disagree with. But it's truth, if it is truth, and we should evaluate that. But if it's truth, we should sing it. Um, there, there's a lot of, and I, I think that's probably more than a personal opinion, but if it feels like just a personal opinion, take it as, take it for what it is and, and do with it what you will. But, um, we've spent a lot of time in the modern church recently arguing over what songs we should sing based on style or association or, you know, all of these things, um, and there are probably some things that we shouldn't sing because they're erroneous. Um, we should probably dive deep and study those things and be careful about it. But there are probably a lot of things that some of us have balked against. Um, at least I know that was the case for my upbringing. Um, there are a lot of things that we sh shouldn't have balked at because they were truth. Um, and if we are singing passionately about anything, it should be about the truth. Um, so we should, we should sing truth, we should sing uh, passion, we should sing our, our hearts out. One of, the, one of the most telling moments for me, I, I, I am a theater person, so I have that strike against me, I'm sorry, I know. Um, I was listening to a soundtrack one time with some friends around, I don't think it was an active listening session, we were just riding in the car or something, um, and one of my friends remarked, because we were listening to a big, like, I think it was something from Les Mis, some big choral number, and people were, like, screaming their guts out, you know, this huge <laughs> sound. And he sort of turned to me and said, man, what would it take for the church to sing like that? And I was like, whew, that's a bit of a gut check. Because it is, we sing passionately about <clears throat> fictitious stories, <laughs> that means something, that send a message to us personally. And the same is true if we talk about folk songs or pop songs or rock songs or whatever, you know, any popular music of any era, they sang it with passion and joy because it, it meant something in their lives, right? Um, 
you go to any concert ever and you will find anywhere from 20 to <coughs> thousands upon thousands of people singing with painted faces and strobe lights and all sorts of craziness, like passing out from exertion over the music that means something to them. And then I'm always rebuked after an experience like that because I come back to church and we don't. Often, we don't. And I'm not saying that we should suddenly turn a church service into a concert setting, but where's the contrast there? Where's the passion there? Why are we not engaging in things that are in or, or in ways that the rest of the world seems to instantly connect to, but we take our theology and sometimes sort of push it off to the side, not let it affect us in a way that causes a response. And, and you know, again, we go back to the Ephesians passage and the result of the Spirit moving and working in our lives is a response in song. If it means something to us, we sing it. If it means more to us, we sing it loudly and with passion. Um, and I think it's probably a sad indictment on all of us, myself included, if the most passionate thing we ever, th we ever sing about is a fictitious story or our favorite rock band. Because there's so much more truth to be explored. Um, and maybe that means something about how we should write some of our music or do some things like that, but it definitely means that there's something lacking. One of my, one of my favorite college professors, he just, he made me start thinking. Um, <laughs> I know that's a strange thing to do in college, but he made me start thinking. Um, his, his statement was always, you can tell the spiritual temperature of a church by the way that they sing. And if that's the case, I'm not drawing any conclusions about our own congregation or your individual congregations for those of you that are visiting, but take a second and evaluate at least yourself, if not everybody else in the congregation, what does that mean for you? If your life being controlled and filled by the Holy Spirit is that you respond in music, in song, especially corporately together, where is our spiritual temperature if we cannot respond passionately? to the truth that we're singing. Um, and then finally, so we, we should sing truth, we should sing passion, and we should, we should sing variety. Um, the passage that we just went through in Ephesians talks about psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And it doesn't necessarily line up to a very, uh, a very definitive like categorization. Some people try to apply a categorization. If you want to, that's fine, no big deal. Um, scholars are very divided on that, but I'm sure you've got it all figured out. Um, <laughs> uh, the idea, is just that it's covering the bases of, of lots of things that we could talk about. Psalms, obviously we're talking about scripture, particularly the psalm, the, the, the psalms, um, which was essentially uh, Israel's hymn book for a long time, right? Um, so uh, psalmody is, is an important church tradition. We sing the psalms. Um, hymns tend to be, at least in our modern context, tend to be a little bit beefier, tend to be a little bit more um, connected. Um, they're very uh, theologically rich in general. And spiritual songs sometimes are ref referred to or, or talked to about um, being the things that are a little bit more like um, spontaneous or, or repetitive, things that are things that are like that are outpourings of the moment kind of idea. That, again, not necessarily a definitive categorization there, but 
we should sing, and we should sing lots, and we should sing in, in a great variety. Um, and so, uh, do, do we have to? Yes, the Bible says that we probably should. Um, what should we sing? Truth, passion, and variety. At the very least, like those should be things that we strive for a lot. And then, what's the point? What's the point of it all? Um, we talked about this in week one with any kind of corporate worship. On some level, we're always looking for adoration, sanctification, and, and uh, I said edification. Yeah, that's what I mean. Sanctification um, and edification. So we adore God. We're, we're praising him. We are ascribing worth in our own minds and perspectives to him. We are there, therefore in the moment being transformed by the renewing of our minds. We are thinking, trying to think, desperately attempting to think like God or about God in a different way than perhaps we had have before. And then that changes us. And hopefully then our sanctification and adoration can then turn into edification where I look at my brothers and sisters next to me and say, you should believe this too. This is really important. Um, and if all of those three things come come to play, the easiest way to describe it is that singing corporately, corporate worship in general, but singing corporately is discipleship. Or at least it's a part of discipleship. That's the idea. I'm going to take this truth about God, put it into a musical format so that you remember it, so that I remember it, and so that when we're going through hard times like Paul and Silas, we're stuck in the prison, we can sing it together because we both know it. Does that make sense? So ultimately, is is music in the context of a church service important? Yes. It's an incredibly powerful and potent form of our um, of our discipleship. Um, it's something that we get to do together, um, and something that is directed both to God and, and from God and to each other and to ourselves and to the rest of the world. It's, a, it's an incredibly powerful tool. Um, and, apparently, according to Ephesians 5, an outpouring of the Spirit's work in our lives. So we can take that as a, as a temperature gauge, gauge for ourselves, at least on some level and, and, and gut check. We should be singing. <laughs> and I think, yeah, music is an act of worship is our next... Yeah, so here kind of comes to the point where we try to get as practical as possible. And again, going back to our overarching goal for the course, which is moving from consumer to worshiper, right? That's a huge theme we keep bringing up. And part of that is we thought as we were talking this out, it's kind of in, in a stage, right? So there's the preparation going into worship. We'll talk about that. Then presence, like what actually happens there and how can you be present? And then post, the reflection and how, how do all of those practice. things, the practice, exactly, the practice of all of it. And how, how can we better engage in worship? I know that first work, that first week we all kind of shared our tendencies. And so wherever you are, this covers all, whether you're more of a leaning on spirit or more leaning on truth, either way, this should be helpful, I hope, for you. So we're going to start with preparation, going into a worship service. Um, ben particularly loves this word. Like, he really loves the word Selah. Um, and if you've never heard it before, you probably have. It comes from the Psalms, it comes from Scripture, and essentially it means pause, right? So it'll say all of these things about God and then 
pause. Scholars sort of differ on the exact denotative definition of, of the word itself. Um, it could also be a musical annotation, like mm-hmm. change key here or something like that, but it, like, essentially it creates a break yeah. um, and a pause and can also be interpreted as think about it, pause, take mm-hmm. a second, and, and reflect. Mm-hmm. Which is incredibly important, right? Because that means there's something there that we need to stop and take in. So I think the first thing that we can do to set ourselves up to frame going into worship service and being able to participate as best as we can is to pause. You know what it's like to run into a Sunday morning after having thrown on clothes and grab breakfast and coffee and it's just, it can be very fast moving, right? And then all of a sudden we get to church and it's like, and we don't quite, maybe we're not quite in the mindset yet, right, to really worship. And so my first encouragement to you would be to pause. Um, secondly, know your tendencies for distraction. One of the most uh, influential things for me the past year has been the statement, pay attention to what you pay attention to. That sounds redundant, right? But pay attention, know what are the things that your brain goes towards when you go in a worship service. Uh, for some of us, it's we're zoning in on like the personality of the leader. Or for some of us, we're thinking about the style um, of the music or the song selection. Or maybe we're like distracted at every time a person walks in and we're like, well, who's that? Who's that? Right? You know, your brain, all of us are wired to go in different directions. So as we walk into a worship service, there's great wisdom in knowing beforehand where your brain will go. And what does that do? Then now you can combat that. So you go in, you know. You know, for all of us, it's so much easier to go into a service and just turn on that critical hat, right? To put on that critical hat and just start thinking, oh, I wish they did this differently, or I don't know this song, right? Like, we can have all these little conversations in our head. And that's so much easier than actually focusing and committing and singing and following the train of thought and the storyline in the service. So it takes intentional work to, to know yourself so that you can decide, no, I'm, I'm not going to let myself be distracted by those little things. I'm going to decide I'm coming in today to participate, to worship. So those things are helpful, I think, as you go into a worship service for the preparation side of things. Pausing and then knowing yourself so that you can be focused and ready to go. Which brings us into the presence during the service. So many people um, you know, have, have the question, I want to engage. I don't know how to engage more deeply. This is awkward. I don't know this song, right? We can have many reasons why we struggle to connect in a service. So first, as we've talked about so much in this course, in spirit, how do we connect? And this kind of encompasses emotionally, but also the physically side of things. Um, so for example, why physical? I mean, for example, our, our son, uh, Rowan, who's 10 months, we've noticed- Oh, 11, <laughs> 11 months now. We've noticed that when he turns on little like music or there's like music in the background, like we did not teach him this. He immediately just starts like rocking back and forth, nodding his head, right? Like he's just, it's inherent. It's completely natural for us to move to music. And so um, it's just, that's an important basic thing to come into when you're starting to talk about physically physical expressions of worship, because there are many, right? So knowing that. The physical expression is a response to the musical expression. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's in tandem with, or it matches the music, it matches the mood, right? We don't jump and down, jump up and down on a really slow song, right? We match the mood and message naturally. We Thank feel you. that as, oh, as okay. human beings. <laughs> All the teenagers are just looking at each other. <laughs> yes. <do>. Yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh yes. Um, so 
One of the first objections that people have when it comes to physical expressions of worship, and this can be many ways, okay, I'm not just talking about raising your hands, many things, is we value authenticity, right? We don't want to be fake. And especially um, us talking to students, a lot of uh, uh, the holding back, I would say, or the hanging back, or hands in our pockets, whatever it may be that, that makes you feel tight and unmovable, um, our objection to moving or to any sort of physical expression is, well, I don't want to do it if I don't feel it. And it's such an interesting thing to think about, right? Because do you, are you supposed to be fake? Right? Are you supposed to do something that doesn't feel right in the moment? But then we gotta kind of zoom back and say, well, what's the purpose of this? The purpose of this is for me to worship. And I know we talk about um, kneeling in prayer, right? There are times when you kneel, kneel in prayer, you don't necessarily feel like kneeling in prayer. But what does it do? It sort of influences like your inward posture. And that's something that Ben and I have learned a lot in the past few years, which is, um, the outward posture can really help shape and move your inward posture. And so many of us are so concerned about feeling like it's a show. Or we've seen other people that have done things that feel like a show and not like a genuine act of worship. But, on the other hand, how can we use physical expressions of worship to influence what's going on inwardly? It's just sort of a different perspective, I think, for those of us that struggle to, to connect with the physicality of things. One thing we also heard um, recently was in regards to physical worship. Worship not where you are at the moment, but worship where you'd like to be. It's an interesting thought, right? Because going into any week, we might have had an awful Sunday morning. We might have had a terrible week. And if we only worship based on how we feel, our worship will be up, down, up, down, up, down, right? Or and it will down. be, or just down if you have a tough time, <laughs> right? But what we know is that God is unchanging, right? So should our worship, shouldn't our worship reflect that? Shouldn't it be a more steady, consistent? Like, if it's not about worshiping me, it's about worshiping God, then every time I go into a worship service, I'm worshiping the same God that was there when things were fantastic, when I had a great day, when I had a smile on my face and everything was great. And he's the same God that is there when I was crying 10 minutes ago or had an awful, awful night and couldn't sleep, right? So as we frame and we go into things, we realize that there is an emotional aspect of connecting in worship. And that can be really difficult for some people um, just for that fear of being fake, right? For not the two things not matching. Well, I think it's important to remember that it's not, it's not, when, when Lana says that our worship should be directed toward an unchanging God, that mm -hmm. doesn't mean that it's always at the same level, sure. or it's always at the, but it's always got the same goal. Right. Right, because none of us are going to come in and feel like, we're at the same place week in and week out, but mm -hmm. the, the idea is reaching towards the truth of who God is and reaching towards being filled by the Spirit. And even mm -hmm. when we don't feel like it, sometimes the action of, um, of, of, of taking a, a particular physical posture can help open us up to that. Mm -hmm. um, and even, even <laughs> I don't know that we included this on the, on the slide in, our, um, in the preparation, but when we talk about physical response in worship, 
yes, we can mean the whole hand gesture-y, do I dance, do I not dance, do I sway back and forth, do I, what do I do with my hands kind of thing. <laughs> but it also means just saying. Mm-hmm. Right? I think we forget that sometimes. It's physical to breathe in mm-hmm. and breathe out with words. <laughs> right? And like the simplest, simplest act of physical worship is to just sing. And I think what makes it a whole lot less awkward Mm -hmm. to be involved with the music physically is to be involved with the music emotionally to begin with and if we are singing we engage with it you ever been at like for some of you this may be going back a few years for me it's my yearly nightmare um but you, you go to some dance or, you know, something, and there's music. I don't know. It's not a nightmare. I enjoy it. Um, well, I mean, <laughs> all my students are like, what? Huh? I thought you liked prom. Okay. All right. Um, moving past that, um, you don't really engage with what's going on until you either start singing along or you start dancing along. Then it's fun all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're connected. Right. It's good. But when you're standing there off to the side, and you're like, I will not be moved. I am a rock. <laughs> then it's, of course it's awkward, right? Like, <laughs> we have a few adults pointing at themselves, right? <laughs> the, but the idea is that, you know, again, if we are responding in some kind of emotional, spiritual, mm-hmm. the physical singing or responding with some kind of action or movement is an outpouring of our connectedness with the truth. And it's incredibly important to allow ourselves to have access to that by being a little more relaxed. Mm -hmm. Whether that means dancing or raising your hands, I don't necessarily care. It's like, what do you need? Worship as you'd like to be. What do you need in that moment to connect yourself to the truth that you're singing about? Mm -hmm. To to connect yourself to the spirit that should be changing our lives. It's Mm -hmm. not a hocus pocus wave the arms raise them real high and suddenly the spirit comes in through your fingertips it's just a (laughs) i want to illustrate Mm -hmm. to even to myself that i need more of you Mm -hmm. i want to illustrate even to myself that i know i'm not worthy of you i want to illustrate even to myself that you're amazing that there's something to sing does that make sense Mm -hmm. um and, if, and it doesn't have to be physical. I've been rebuked several times for not being, like, emotive enough. I went to this church service that we talked about a little while ago. Um, and, like, this guy, very unsolicited, walks up and goes, can I give you some feedback? He knew we were there to, like, watch the service and figure out some things. He's like, can I give you some feedback? I was like, so scary. sure, go for it. He's like, you're just not really trying very hard, are you? I was like, huh! <laughs> I'm so, like, I was so engaged with, like, watching and observing and helping and, and learning. I was like, I'm right. really trying, all right? <laughs> so yeah, um, it doesn't always look the same for everybody. Yeah. But we all, again, like before, we should all take that as a heat check to say, all right, where am I, really? Mm-hmm. Because I know. Mm-hmm. And I even think about, I know we've used so many musical examples because we are artistically inclined, but even think about like Atlanta United games are a huge thing right now, right? And Plenty of sports, of course, including everyone. But, um, you know, what's one thing that, that is always incredible to watch is singing the national anthem or jumping up when your team scores. Like, it's just natural. You don't think, like, oh, my goodness, now I should stand and say, 
yay, <laughs> right? It just kind of happens, right? And so- Do I pump my fist now, right? neighbor? Right arm, left arm, I don't know, exactly. And so, that's right. Well, and it's funny yeah. that you mentioned Atlanta United because even Atlanta United, you go to soccer games, what do they do at soccer games? They sing yep. constantly. Yeah. It's nuts. It's like the biggest like communal like Group sing. corporate singing yeah. of anything that I've ever seen. And they're all singing their team's fight song. It's nuts. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, and so if you struggle to connect in a worship service, but you have no problem connecting to jumping up when your team scores or singing along your team's fight song, like maybe there's a divide somewhere. Like maybe there's something you need to think through or, or work through or ask yourself some, you know, hard questions because it's natural, yeah. right? So and please don't take that as an accusation because yeah. guilty, no. guilty, guilty no, no, over no, no, here. No. But yeah. like, that's something that we really should strive for if, right. if we follow that line of logic, right? If, if it makes sense for us to be engaged emotionally with something mm -hmm. that of eternal value is probably lesser than what we're discovering in, in the story of the gospel, right? right. Yeah, uh-huh. Then shouldn't we do that with the other? Did you have a question? No, it, it's just with mm -hmm. with sporting events and concerts and things mm -hmm. like that. It is so much easier to engage emotionally on a superficial level. Yes, that's true. very true. And so when and when we get to worship, we are acknowledging our insufficiencies, our whatever you want to call it. My brain's not finding the words right now. But how let how less worthy we are right. than God is and we have to constantly be reconnecting to how unworthy we are right and acknowledging that sure to fully in absolutely in worship and I think that goes sure. back to our spirit and truth thing right, right. because mm -hmm. because it's easy to have spirit or truth like we can be very right. heady in one sense and right. you know we're using the sports teams and the you know concerts as, as a bit of an analogy for like for the, the reaction that we could have if we engaged. Mm -hmm. But there are lots of megachurches and youth groups and all this kind of stuff where you get that kind of a response, right? It's not like that's lacking. Right. But I think we can probably all ex describe at least one experience where in a setting like that, it felt like this is just not connected to anything. Like we're just screaming for no reason. Like, Hype for hype's sake. Right, it's a hype song for Jesus, and there are beach balls everywhere. And what in the world is even happening? And why are we talking about why are we talking about God right now? Nobody has said a word, and we're just and this is supposed to, like so. Yes, you're 100 percent right. Yeah. Like it can be superficial. I think what I put so much emphasis, and we put so much emphasis on it in this context, because we've come out of really heady situations. Mm -hmm. Everything was about the intellectual, and I have a feeling that a good majority of us have, have experienced worship from that side, perhaps not quite from the over-the-top crazy side all the time. Um, but, but there's spirit and truth, like that keeps to be, that keeps returning as the, as the ever-current theme. It's got, we have to have both. And both have to be informed by the other, right? Right, for sure. And it's, it's that pendulum swing, right? We know that if we struggle more with spirit, that we have to swing a little bit harder <laughs> towards that way. And it's probably, you know, going to be a need to course correct a little bit, right? Just figuring that out. Um, so as far as engaging with truth, so we, we jumped into spirit. Now on truth, here are some helpful things um, I hope for you. First, being present. Come searching for the big story. What I mean by that is like 
God's story of redemption, right? Asking God to show you more about himself. And this is a huge turning point. If we come into this as consumers, we are looking for what I want to know about myself. What are the things that affect me? Or make me feel better. Or make me feel good this week. Or what do I need to hear so that I can get through the next 24 hours, right? Whereas, hold on, we're ascribing worth to something. We're saying something is worthy. It should not so much be about us, right? It should be about the thing where the person that we're worshiping. So come asking God to show you more about himself. It's kind of a flip, right? And so we have to frame, and even in reading the scripture, like we so so often tend to be looking for what do I need? What do I need from this? What do I want from this? But we have to come into church approaching it as what, what is there that I need to learn about God, not about me, right? Philippians 3.10 says that I may know him personally, know him and the power of his resurrection. These are all things I have to do with that big story that, may sh- that I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So it's not only just an ascent of these are facts about God that I should know in this service. It's also why, how does that change me? How do I can become more like him right through these things? So come searching for that story, looking for the ark, like we've talked about, that storyline of the service, and then asking God to show you more about himself. Number two, come as you are. Isaiah 55, 1, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. If you had an awful week, you got nothing to give, come. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. There is no way that our worship can ever earn anything. Right, and it's just important, I think, every once in a while to come back to that fact, right? None of this is striving, none of this is earning. We have already been set free. There's nothing left to earn, right? All of this is a joyful expression of something that we get to do, like we get to worship. And it's an exciting thing if we engage with it. So come as you are, however that is. Pray in the spirit for those around you. Ephesians 6, 18 says, Praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So this includes everyone in your row. This includes people you don't recognize in the service. This includes your friends um, that are maybe near you or in the service at that time. One of the things that can help us become more attuned in a service, become more engaged in singing, is is looking around and praying for those people that are around you. Um, It's especially meaningful when you know and have community with the people around you, then you actually know what to pray for them for. And that can be really special. It can also help center you um, more on what God's doing in the service. Sing to and for others. And on the flip side, listen to others. And I thought this was interesting because we both came up with this passage separately for separate reasons, which was cool. Um, So I'm going to jump to the end portion of it. You'll hear it twice tonight. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Just to pause there, that's an interesting thought, addressing one another. So we've talked about this a bit, but again, reminding that it's not just a vertical conversation that's going on in worship. It's not just me in my own little world with my headphones my worship it's also i'm talking to communicating to others it's a vertical and a horizontal um saw an interesting little post the other day i think it was like instagram or something 
that said a rebuke to worship leaders. And it's like, how can you read the room if your eyes are closed, right? <laughs> it's just a small thing. And, you know, take with that what you will with a grain of salt. But the idea is it's not just about me and my vertical conversation with God and worship. It's about the people around me. The people around me need to hear these things too. I need to hear it. They need to hear it. It's both of us, back and forth, back and forth. You hear people say a lot that when you come to worship or you come to present a musical gift mm-hmm. in church or you know something like that, that you hear a lot of people, that well-meaning people try to try to like make connect you to you're doing this for God by saying something like, it's an audience of one. You're doing this for an audience of one. Mm-hmm. You're not. It's, it's vertical and horizontal. Yes, mm-hmm. we're ascribing praise to God. And yes, his opinion is the only one that ultimately should matter. And I think right. that's what people are trying to say. Right. But it's both arrogant to say that you shouldn't hear from other people. Mm-hmm. And short-sighted to say that your musical gift or your corporate or your worship is not corporate in the sense of you and everybody else around you. It's just about you and God. It's so much more than that. When we sing in church, I I don't know about you, but I have often made sometimes in a, in a worship service, but but more even more broadly. How many of you have ever been encouraged by the actions of another person that it was not about you, they didn't give you anything, you just watched them do something for somebody else, and it changed the way that you saw something? Mm-hmm. Welcome to corporate worship. Mm-hmm. I have often been challenged by watching other worshipers in the service mm-hmm. giving everything that they have and you know they're connected. Mm-hmm. You know they're responding to truth. It's not just a hype thing. They're they're being wrecked by the gospel in that moment and it changes your heart. Mm-hmm. Not that it's a show, again, but we, t- we talked earlier about physicality not necessarily just being about a fake response or, or just the, the thing that we do only when we feel the timing is right, you know, oh, I'm being taken over. It's, <laughs> it's about saying, this is true, so I'm going to respond to it in some way, mm-hmm. right? Why, why should we not all be striving to be the person really engaging in the truth for the people around us? A lot of people are going to balk at that and say, well, if I'm thinking about everybody else around me, then I'm being prideful. You could be, and I've done it before. It's easy. But if you are constantly reminding yourself of the truth, isn't it better to engage that way and deal with the fallout of your sinful nature the way you're always going to have to deal with the fallout of your sinful nature rather than just sit back and deal with that? part of your sinful nature and not <laughs> yeah, right like it's a whole lot e- it's a whole lot better to engage and be changed and try to reach out to the people around you and then you know go back and not that grace abounds so that sin may much more abound but you know have a moment with the lord and say that was probably a prideful moment but i wasn't trying you know i want to do better i want to keep engaging but it's a, it's about engaging and moving mm-hmm. forward and trying to it's not about just giving it to god he doesn't need it. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like, I'm not trying to be profane in any sense. It's just he doesn't need our worship. The people around us need to see God differently. We need to see God differently. So on some level, the way that we engage corporately 
changes the way we and other people see. And yes, we say thank you to God. We give it back to God. But it's not, but corporate worship is not the um, spiritual church version of Mario's mushroom. And you throw it at Mario, he gets bigger. <laughs> right? You're not, you're not giving God something that makes him bigger. You're looking at him in a way that makes him bigger in your own eyes and in the eyes of the people around you. And that's incredibly important and incredibly horizontal. Anyway, I don't know. Rantings of a madman, but that yeah. really feels like that should be important to us. Yeah, for sure. And, and a little side note, too, here for those of us, probably many of us, who tend to get maybe self-conscious um, about the way that we sing or the way that we worship. This is a very personal thing that I jotted down maybe a month or so ago on a Sunday morning. Um, I was leading worship, and it happened to be a Sunday that I was just really struggling. And um, I'll just read a little tiny portion from this, and hopefully it'll be helpful to you. <clears throat> what if my ego does not need to be stroked, and I don't have to be confident in my ability to sing, or to feel like I deserve the p position I hold? What if my preaching through the music is far more important? What if I'm preaching to others, but also to myself? What if I allowed myself a, a deep breath inside and out and saw the bigger picture? The bigger picture here is that there are people in our church who want to engage more deeply in worship around me. And most likely, someone near me is waiting for me to worship courageously. When they see me take a risk, they might dip a toe in the waters of corporate worship or better yet, cannonball all the way in. And it kind of helps you if you're struggling in that moment of, what do I look like? What is this? I'm self-conscious. I don't know. Do I have a good enough voice? Can I, can I do this? What do I look like? Um, take a moment and think, what do the people around me need? We know on any given Sunday there are people um, near us in the congregation who have lost a loved one, who are in throes of anxiety or depression, who are having just awful awfully difficult family situations and interpersonal conflict and the list goes on and on so what if for a moment we we stopped and asked what do what does my church need from me when i worship it's kind of humbling and and it helps me i don't know if that helps you to kind of recenter to when i'm worshiping and thinking that this isn't just about me this isn't just about my ability or what i look like when i worship this is about reminding the people around me of what's true and even though i'm struggling it's also reminding myself when I worship wholeheartedly. Um, it's not fake. And I think that's a really uh, helpful realization, you know, as you're struggling and learning how to worship better. In the moments when we become really self-conscious about those kinds of things and we become overly worried mm -hmm. and worship ceases to be about what we set out to worship, mm -hmm. I think it's probably important for us to remember we're always worshiping something. Mm -hmm. So in that moment, where has the worship arrow switched to? <laughs> are we back? Are we, are we focused on God? Are we worshiping God? Are we, are we giving the good news of the gospel to other people? Or in that moment, are we worshiping our own egos mm -hmm. and our own emotional lives, our own insecurities, those mm -hmm. kinds of things? Like, those are real deals. And that's not... It's real. Yeah. And then uh, let me finish up with this passage of 
addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sorry, that was a long detour. <laughs> Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And there's so much richness in there. And it's interesting to think about why those things are connected as they are. It's not just a random list. They're, they're all very intentional. Um, noticing psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, connecting with our personal relationship with Christ in our hearts and worshiping. Also connected to giving thanks. It's an attitude of thankfulness. Also connected to submitting to one another. Isn't that interesting, right? What does our worship have to do with submitting to another? Well, if I care more about the people around me, then maybe I'll submit and let go of my personal insecurities on how I look or how I sound to serve the better good. It's an interesting thought. Um, and then finishing up in presence. This is a phrase um, that I hope you don't miscommunicate or you don't under misunderstand. Um, it's not about losing yourself in a worship service. It's about tethering yourself. And I remember uh, growing up in our throes of um, just being in different circles and different worship settings, one of the things that I would hear often about like the new Christian music that's coming out that was, oh, you know, such a big deal as we were kids. Um, no more hymns, what, what? Um, they would say we stuff like... Experience. I, know. <laughs> I know, right? Wow, we're showing all our cards. And so I remember one of one preacher saying, yeah, some of those Christian concerts, they go there and they jump up and down and they love it and they say it's great and we come back and they say, that was so awesome. I love Jesus so much. And well, he say, and he would ask them, well, like, what was it about? Like, what did you learn about God? What do you love about God? And they would say, I don't know. It was just like really exciting, and it was like everyone was jumping, and it was awesome. And, right? and it's probably not a fair representation of all Christian music at that time or anything um, to, to say that, right? But the idea there um, was again, people were losing themselves in emotion. They were losing themselves in um, the heart or the feeling side of things and ignoring the truth, ignoring the mental ascent. Like it was feelings and no substance, like we've been talking about spirit truth, right? And so it's really important, especially in the area, the modern kind of movement that we're in right now, a lot of the direction of worship is, is so shaped and, and starting to move this way towards losing ourselves and just being lost in everything. and and. The more in ben than, uh, that Ben and I have been talking about this, it's it's almost really the opposite, I think, of where we should be going. And again, it's a reaction to something. There, there is some truth there. There should be emotional engagement. We, we've been talking about that again and again. But really, what we should be doing is actually reminding ourselves and tying ourselves to, tethering ourselves to something that's true. Like, we don't need to be lost. We don't need to be mindlessly entertained. That's not what we really truly need deep down. Do we need rest? Yes. But when we come to church, it's not about being lost in something. If we don't remember anything, if we can't say anything that was true about God that we learned in the service, then we miss something, right? We are engaging only with our hearts and not with our heads. And so the verse that I thought was helpful here was Psalm 42. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and what did he do? He set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. There's something simple and strong and true about scripture 
and how it's interpreted in a service and through song and those truths. And we should not be, you know, wandering off into emotional nothingness. We should be excited and passionate about something that is true and whatever that message that was being given in that sermon. And it's incredibly helpful when we remind ourselves, you know, passion and purpose. There's kind of both yeah. sides to that. It's, and we don't want to imply that we're picking on just, you know, contemporary Christian music sure, or anything like sure. that. We talked last week a little bit about um, what it would be like to, ever, to know everybody else's Amazing Grace, mm -hmm. right? Well, how many times have you sung Amazing Grace or How Great Thou Art without thinking about what you're singing? That, too, is an emotional response to something mm -hmm. that is not connected. It's not just because the drums are banging. It's because <laughs> I have some kind of emotional connection that is untethered in this moment. Mm -hmm. And it, even, in, even in physiology, to be emotional without cause is a disorder. Not, you know, like, the, you know what I mean? Right, yeah. And to be intellectual or to be knowledgeable about something and unaffected by it is psychosis. Even in our bodies, mm -hmm. when we are unaffected by either spirit or truth, there is an imbalance. Mm -hmm. There's something wrong. You go to the doctor for those things. Um, so... We're, we, we certainly are not shooting down either side of this except right. to say that both sides should find some place in the middle where they're both, where they're both involved right. by the other. Does that make sense? Like, we don't want to get caught in being a psychopath or being bipolar. Like, we've got to find the truth right. and the response. Otherwise, there's something wrong. Right. And then... So we kind of talked through presence, being present in the service, but lastly is the practice of it after the service. Um, Monday through Saturday matters. Sunday matters, yes, but so does Monday through Saturday, right? It's so much of our lives. So how can you take, capture what you have learned, what you've been connected to, what has moved you, what you've been reminded of in a service, and translate it into Monday through Saturday? And kind of the word that we came up with is practice, because it is an ongoing practice. And um, the idea is to live your daily life with song. And this sounds very specific and practical. And I also don't know why there's bulldozer picture. <laughs> <laughs> daily life. I better change that. While you're slogging through everything else you gotta do. Yes, I really should have tried it. We apologize for the very <laughs> of weird picture of, <laughs> or, of a backhoe or backhoe, something. Backhoe, see? Yes. I'm clearly up on my it's construction. A, something like that. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure I changed the picture, but it's all it good. It looks like maybe it's following the fields as prepared. Sure, there fields. you go. Yes, like thank there you. Go. Right, good. I feel yeah. so supportive. Good. You're building your life. <laughs> okay, things. we should just stop. <laughs> Busting right. down the old habits. <laughs> The daily grind. So pray about what you've learned. Um, the first simple way to bring into your week, infuse, you know, infuse your your daily life with what happened on Sunday is to pray and discuss and talk about what you have learned in church. Sounds so simple. Maybe you're in a family where uh, you grew up and your parents made you do this. Did any of you? 
have or in a family where you're like oh <clears throat> your parents ask you what you learned in Sunday school or like now what was the sermon about <laughs> check yes. check check about that right before. wait a minute how about oh yeah yeah, yeah oh yeah yeah so some of us this is built in and it's for other <laughs> we have to train ourselves to do that right pray about what you've learned secondly Listen to the songs from Sunday that we sang throughout the week, especially songs you didn't know. And especially, um, I remember in our even in our video, we talked about this is, as an intro to the course, um, how often we get hung up as worshipers on, well, I don't know that song, or I don't necessarily like that, that style of that song, I don't have any connection to it. So what are we doing to be more engaged with that song? Maybe the first time you heard it, you didn't love it. Okay, well, it's part of what we sing at our church and worshiping and the act of loving each other, submitting to one another, right? Like we just discussed in Ephesians, um, is learning those songs. So, you know, and even Jeremy has it put really it great. It doesn't mean you have to love the song. Right, it doesn't, it sorry. It means you have to love the truth. <laughs> yeah, right? it's the truth about it. If there's truth in there, then we, we love it and we can connect to it, even if it's in a different style than we would naturally listen to. So take note of songs you don't know. This seems really academic, but write them down. I was just saying, really quick question. Yeah, yeah. So that we're not, because there is, especially for my, because I'm the mother of teenagers and mm -hmm. yes. even Warren, and he really enjoys the whole worship experience. But there are songs that you don't know, and so you're having to read words. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're still engaging, because for me, reading the words is super helpful and focusing. Yeah. yeah. But so we're not like, oh, wait a second, I don't know the song and like stopping and mm -hmm. jotting down songs. Is there an easier, is there a way to find the, the songs? Like today's playlist mm -hmm. was these songs. Or you're like, these are the worship songs kind of thing. That's a great question. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of ministries do that. I think Jeremy has done that in the past. Um, but I'm definitely going to take that to him as as the result of this conversation. Because I agree. Yeah, we have one for that. We mm -hmm. had the playlist. That's awesome. And so you knew the songs ahead mm -hmm. of time, mm -hmm. and you could fully engage. And it really felt like everyone was prepared and yeah. able to mm -hmm. fully engage. And I know for even for my kids, so that would help in Absolutely. Just being able to engage a little Absolutely. bit more versus like. Oh, well, yeah, sometimes it's sometimes it's hard too because then like you think, oh, I didn't know that. I really should look that up and then afterwards at lunch you're like what was the song I that had that I didn't know right right remember sometimes yeah. the kids can help out like oh it had this like word in it you yeah know, yeah like this, and you're trying to like piece together <laughs> What's the app all where the you start humming <laughs> humming the tune and they can find it <laughs> yes you yes definitely post like a list every week on Instagram. Oh, does he? Good. I don't know about Facebook. I think Facebook. Okay. But I don't know if it's on the church Good. or on his page or what. Okay, something on Instagram oh, maybe. Um, they. I know they did it for a while. I just yeah. hadn't seen yeah, it. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a while. Seen it recently. Good. Oh, cool. good. So yeah, and well, there we'll you definitely go. take that to him. Try to see if we can make that more visible. Yeah, find out if you can find out where it is. That yeah. Helpful. Yeah. Because it's definitely like it's absolutely helpful, right? It's very talking? helpful. Because if you can take, I love the illustration about going into the women's conference. I had a similar experience with a another concert recently. Like it was all brand new music, and mm -hmm. we were going to walk into this conference having no idea what was being sung. But the people who were putting on the conference sent out lead sheets and sent out recorded like demo recordings of everything and stuff so we got to digest it and then mm -hmm. we got in like you engage with it so much more right. quickly when you know it right yeah 100%. yeah for sure that's and that's important. 
Yeah, and that's part of our job, I think. And again, serving one another by like learning those songs can be really neat. Um, and too, just repeating the songs that you sang that Sunday throughout the week can help bring back either like a memory of, of a moment maybe where God really spoke to you in the music or in the teaching or in the communion or in the tithing, right? It's a whole service. Uh, it can really help you. Repetition, repetition, especially through song, really cements things in our minds and in our hearts. Yeah, the practice of all of this stuff is part of our, part of our discipleship, right? Mm-hmm. If we come to the service on Sunday and we say to ourselves, I'm here to worship, and what does that actually mean? It means to bow down, it means to lift up praise, and it means to be changed by what you see there, mm-hmm. right? If we take our definition from week one, right? So essentially, this congregational worship, whatever form it takes, if we're talking about the sermon or we're talking about the music or anything else that we're doing, even the giving at some point, you know, we are, we are to respond to it and it is, it is to change us, not just in the moment. That's the problem with our mountaintop experiences. We've all been to a camp or a conference or a special service or a whatever, a worship night at our church, and gone away thinking, that was awesome. I'm so like excited. And then you wake up the next morning and you can't remember a thing that happened. Maybe it's a little more experience or a little bit longer than that for some of the like week-long experiences like camps and things like that. But honestly, like I have, and it's, it, it, it breaks my heart sometimes because I'm so excited about something that I heard and that I know should change me, mm-hmm. but then I leave and I just, I forgot it or I don't mm-hmm. know what it was or that's another thing why that, why understanding, I know that going through all of the stuff about liturgies and storytelling and all that kind of stuff was a lot, but when you approach corporate worship, knowing what you're doing and what's happening in the moment it helps you navigate the practice. Because if I can think, we sang Beautiful Name on Sunday, and I loved how that connected to this in Anson's sermon because it was connected, you've suddenly made a connection point that you wouldn't have made had you not remembered the feeling or the emotion or the moment of singing Beautiful Name. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, so that connects you back to the message, which you can then take that nugget, write it down, emboss it, do whatever you have to do. Lana sometimes writes on her bathroom mirror with uh, dry erase markers, stuff like that, like, to remember this stuff, because that's what our discipleship is. Mm-hmm. It's discussion. It's getting together at the table and talking about truth, even if that's, you know, more mundane truth than perhaps high theology. We're just talking about... Mm-hmm. Everyday life communion, fellowship, ministry and mission together, those kinds of things, that comes out of our corporate gathering. It's so much more involved than just going to church or being involved in the worship set, right? It's, if we are honest, if we're truthful, everything in our lives is worship. But these corporate gatherings are a crucial and focused part of our discipleship effort. Mm -hmm. Who are we learning from? How are we growing? And how are we communicating that truth to others so that they can grow? Mm -hmm. In even something as simple as singing truth together. Mm -hmm. When we understand the story, we understand all of those kinds of things, it makes a big difference. Real quickly, what happens when you're in a service that's not as well planned or not as well executed or or whatever because there are probably three levels of involvement in just about any worship service one 
oh my gosh, that was amazing. They did everything beautifully. I got tons of notes and I'm going to go home a changed person, right? And then grow throughout the next several months. There's like, meh. That was pretty good. It was okay. I remember just something. And then the other ones where you're like, no one knows how to play a D chord. What's going on? Why did that guy just say this thing, right? So sometimes it's not great. And we've all been in all three, probably. Um, but knowing that we believe that corporate gathering is part of our discipleship, and we believe that the word of the Lord never returns to him void, then we as worshipers have the have the responsibility to engage even with bad worship. Does that make sense? Work a little harder. Right, you have to work a little harder. Maybe during the awkward guitar solo that no one knows why it's there, (laughs) you think about a verse that connects to the passage, to the the song that you're singing. Or you pray. Or you pray. Or you confess something to a brother that's standing right next to you. I don't know. There, There are all sorts of things that you can do. Maybe it's a song that doesn't really have a whole lot of connection. You know, you've you've sat through seven minutes of I'll worship you, Jesus. I'll worship you. I'll worship you now. I'll worship you. About what? Right? You're sort of bored at that point. Well, what are the things that you worship him about? Why don't you stop just saying it and do it in the moment? Right? What are the passages of scripture that connects with you that that make you worship the Lord? What are some attributes of the God that you say that you love or that say that we say that we love that cause us to worship? There are so many things that we can do in those moments right. even when we don't connect to the worship. Because let's be honest, even in some of the best worship services, we fall into the trap of disconnecting from it simply because we don't like what's being sung or don't vibe with it. Right? Does that make sense? Like, we've all been in situations where we just like, I really don't like this song. Get over it. Do you like the God about the song? Then sing about him. Mm-hmm. And I, I say that with some kind of authority, but I've got to tell you, I do that all the time. It's so, I, I feel like it's a double, it's a curse for musicians to be involved in worship services because we nitpick everything. Like, as a, story, as a storyteller and a musician, my brain is like always in hyperdrive. And I have to put the brakes on. Yeah. I have to say, stop. You know what are you doing? Why are you picking this apart? Why are you not engaging with it? Right. It's easier to pick apart than to actually worship. Yeah. Oh gosh. Engage. Yeah. Like, 100%. It would be it's like way easier. analyzing a piece of literature that that wasn't your style, but you're yeah. having to do it for school. Right. It isn't sure. your style. So you aren't fitting or emotionally right. connecting to it. Right. But if you go with what you've been saying, basically there's going to be, there's a message of truth. Mm-hmm. These are believers mm-hmm. and these are Christians. So you need to hunt even harder yes. to find the message. Maybe it's not a good author and they didn't write a good story, <laughs> but there's the message and it's, it's truth. So you're going to have to hunt a little harder yep. and you're going to have to work harder to find what's Absolutely. coming through. And if right. there's not a message, maybe something is coming through for you. Maybe you need to find some truth <laughs> to graft onto that really right. bad song. Like, you know, you just have to, mm-hmm. Sometimes you just have to get through the literature. You have to find the message. Absolutely. You have to find the end. Absolutely. And right. remember, I mean, yeah, the truth is still there. The message is right. still there. Whether you're connecting to it. Whether you're connecting to it or not, yeah. it's right. still mm-hmm. accessible. We... We have such a wonderful opportunity, week in and week out, to come together as believers and 
challenge one another, challenge ourselves, and and unload the garbage that we carry with us in favor of the freedom of, of loving an infinite God with infinite resources and infinite love for us. And in light of all of that, we still walk away week in and week out saying, I didn't get anything out of that. I didn't really connect to the worship today. You seen that meme by, um, it's like Francis Chan, like somebody saying, oh, I didn't really enjoy worship today. Well, we weren't worshiping you. So. <laughs> That's, That's wow. okay. I mean, let's, let's leave it at that. Who are we worshiping? And why are we doing it? And what, you know, I'm not trying to say that we should go out and never, ever have a struggle with this ever again. And you should feel like a horrible person if you do. <laughs> But that's the point of the word practice. Mm-hmm. These are weekly practices yeah. that we involve ourselves in so that we grow. Progressive sanctification is a thing, but in order to progressively sancti- be sanctified, you have to continually expose yourself to the truth okay. and respond to it and change. The whole you're good enough just the way you are movement that has, is sort of sweeping through even Christian thought right now, you look at yourself in, in the mirror and you, you're beautiful. You're, you've got all the potential in the world. Okay, read the Bible a little bit. Yes, there is infinite beauty and goodness to be had from the spirits working in our lives, but we gotta struggle at this thing and we gotta grow and it takes effort and, and we should take in the input from the songs and the sermons and the practices and the communion and the baptisms and the everything that we come into contact with in these corporate gatherings because they are intended to help make us disciples. That's the point of the church. That's the point of corporate worship. Amen and amen. (laughs) Let's do it. That make sense? All right. We're going to close this thing in prayer. We'll stick around for some questions and stuff if you guys have anything you want to keep talking about. Um, but we got to let you guys out so that we can uh, actually have to go get our son. So yeah. um, let's pray. <laughs> Dear Father, thank you so much for your love and your care for us in giving us a way to emotionally express truth uh, and then reflexively be changed by it and, and help others be changed by it. We pray that um, we don't all claim to be musicians. We don't all claim to be um, even good at doing the whole church thing, but we love you um, and Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. Um, We want to grow, we want to strive, we want to love you more and more, and we need you in order to do that. You died to set us free from ourselves, and somehow we like to choose ourselves again anyway. We pray that you would help to continue to focus our hearts and minds on you in worship of all kinds and that your name would be glorified through it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.